0: if you're a woman who's been socialized consciously and unconsciously your whole life, that you should never upset people, you deciding to take that step up is going to be harder than for someone who has never received that kind of messaging. And where I see it so, so frequently with the people that I work with is exactly what you were saying, Daphne, that idea around building your network on purpose and understanding that part of not being just given housekeeping assignments, part of being seen as a leader is about curating the way that other people perceive you. And it is about making sure that when you do take on that hard piece of work that you were supposed to fail at and you didn't fail, you need to make sure that everybody knows about that and not just expect that your results are going to be known and speak for you.
1: Welcome to this episode of Conversations. I am Brian Gorman, your host and a coach here at Quantibos. And today we have two guests. Our first guest is Charlotte Rooney. Charlotte is the CEO and a coach for A Half Managed Mind in London, I believe, Charlotte. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that's right.
1: Welcome to Conversations. Thank you. And our second guest is Daphne Jefferson, Daphne is a coach here at Quantibos and was actually our guest on one of our very early episodes of A Conversations. Welcome, Daphne.
2: Thank you, Brian. Great to be here and nice to be here with Charlotte as well.
1: Charlotte and I connected a while back and we were talking at that time about doing a podcast regarding the experience of women moving into leadership positions and organizations. And Having that conversation, we realized that Charlotte brings an important perspective and there's another important perspective to bring as well. And that is that there are some significant challenges for women and there's uh, additional significant challenges for women of color, which is why we have both Charlotte and Daphne with us today. As you were talking before we started recording, one of the experiences that you share in common, sort of mirroring one another, is that you have both been women in organizations where you were also uh, racially in the minority. So I'd like to really start off by talking a bit about what that experience was like for each of you.
2: I'll start. I think the first thing that comes to mind in in those experiences, loneliness and a certain sense of isolation because your peers are not from the same background necessarily, don't necessarily have the same sensibilities or sensitivities, and you see the world in different ways. And the challenge being, one, sometimes not being understood or being talked over or becoming invisible. And so for me, it was really learning to find my own voice in my own way, not becoming one of the guys, one of the the other, but to really start to focus in on who I was as a human and as a leader, and then building a community, either within my peers, and um, just because there were differences didn't mean there couldn't be connection, but I had to kind of understand that and help some of my colleagues to understand that and then building out networks outside of those spaces that supported me throughout that process.
0: Yeah, I can absolutely recognize uh, a lot of what you just said there, Daphne. From a slightly different perspective, I think because when I was in this situation, it was when I was working in you know humanitarian relief and international development and obviously being the only white person on an project in the Democratic Republic of Congo is a different dynamic, I think, to being the only woman of color in a U.S. government or or corporate environment. But at the same time, very, very similar experience of that isolation, that um, real sort of fine juggling of how do you build relationships with people when you need that community and that support while at the same time maintaining an appropriate level of professional distance potentially in order to be able to protect the feeling of authority that I felt that I needed at the time. Um, This was quite early on in my career, and I think I might go about it differently now than I did at that time. But at the time, I certainly felt that I needed to keep some distance between me and my colleagues, particularly in that sort of building of friendships and sort of social space because I saw myself as a representative of the organization that I worked for in this different community where I was living. Um, And and navigating that dynamic definitely was something that I found challenging and spent a lot of time thinking about.
1: Before we started recording, you were both talking about that entry-level experience and what you find even now with clients. You referenced the broken rung in the ladder Could you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for a lot of people who want to get into leadership, taking that first step from being an individual contributor into being someone who leads a team, someone who is a manager, um, is not just a question of you wanting to do that. It's also a question of having the opportunity to be able to make that shift. And it is a real shift on many, many levels, going from an individual contributor to to a management role. It, it's a completely different skill set that you need in order to be successful when you are leading other people as opposed to when you're just contributing from your own expertise. And I think in a lot of organisations, what is lacking is fairness in those opportunities um, and also then the support that you need to be successful once you have made it onto that first rung in terms of the right training, mentoring, and coaching that you need to really facilitate that shift from individual thinking to team leadership thinking.
2: Yeah, as you you talk about that, Charlotte comes to mind at that step where you're moving from individual contributor to that first manager's role, the criticality of having a sponsor. In most organizations, you have to have somebody who is pulling for you or putting your name up. Um, It's not just about ability. And then being able to make that transition. Many times moving from your peer group into leading that peer group can be a critical phase in figuring out how to make that work and how to be successful. What's the different mindset that's required? What are those unwritten rules that nobody told you about before? that you're being held accountable for in the process. And so it is having, as you said, that level of support once you are identified and move into that first uh, rung of that management ladder to be able to stay there and to excel.
1: For me, an important piece of recording this particular episode is the messages that the more traditional Male leader needs to hear about women succeeding in leadership positions in organizations. And there are a couple of pieces to that. And I don't remember where I read this terminology, but I think it's very apt, although it's a bit uncomfortable. Um, the author or authors were talking about housekeeping assignments versus glamour assignments. And I know from my own experience inside of organizations historically, and I started several decades ago, that women tended to be given the housekeeping assignments. You know, the automatic assumption is you'll take the minutes at the meeting or you'll write up the, the report or whatever, and the guys will go out and meet with the clients and, and so forth and so on. What is your experience with how assignments came to you, and how do you challenge when the assignments that are coming to you are not the ones that are going to advance your career?
2: Well, I think to your point, the housekeeping versus the glamour takes a number of different forms to include even the messaging around where you may have success in an organization, where there may be some traditional roles for women that are more comfortable for the majority to include things like human resources, talent development, um, some of the the support functions, accounting, finance, but then you look at the leadership in those organizations and they're predominantly male and being able early on to understand and recognize where the promotions are coming from. They're not coming from housekeeping. They're not coming from taking notes in meetings. They're actually coming from taking on hard assignments. Sometimes the things that you get, it's not just the housekeeping assignments that you may get. It's the the failing business that you get. It's the problem team that you get. It's the challenging client that you get. And the work is really figuring out how do I succeed when I'm expected to fail. Who do I need on my team? How do I collaborate? How do I put my ego in my pocket and move forward and say, I need help in these areas? And many times, I know for myself, starting off, it was hard to ask for help because help asking for help looked like weakness and asking for help looked like I wasn't ready for the role. And so a part of it is learning how to advocate for yourself. You talk about how do you speak up when you're given some of those roles. Sometimes, honestly, you don't have the voice to be able to do that. But when you do, you use it and you build a team. And the thing that the unwritten rules that we don't hear a lot about are, how are you building networks at that next level that may look very different than when you were an individual contributor? So not only are you learning to advocate for yourself, but how do you build a group of people around you and support structures who can also advocate for you.
0: That's such an excellent point. Um, I think what's interesting for me as well in this space is the expectations that we have about the way women will behave in a work environment and the way men will behave in a work environment. And there are differences between the genders that are to some degree generalizable perhaps we can also i think all agree that you know there are, sexism exists in society and the way that we are raised and socialized is different depending on whether or not we are men and women and that then leads to us wanting to behave in different ways in the workplace because that, like you said, Daphne, feels more comfortable. So whether that is women tending towards more people-centred roles or shying away potentially from more difficult decisions which may upset people, which tend to also then be correlated with what more senior people see as someone with leadership potential. Oh, look, there's someone who is happy to step in when it's difficult. They don't mind upsetting people for the greater good. Whereas if you're a woman who's been socialized consciously and unconsciously your whole life that you should never upset people, you deciding to take that step up is going to be harder than for someone who has never received that kind of messaging. And where I see it so, so frequently with the people that I work with is exactly what you were saying, Daphne, that idea around building your network on purpose and understanding that part of not being just given housekeeping assignments, part of being seen as a leader is about curating the way that other people perceive you. And it is about making sure that when you do take on that hard piece of work that you were supposed to fail at and you didn't fail, you need to make sure that everybody knows about that and not just expect that your results are going to be known and speak for you. Or when you start to think, I want to take that next step, onto the first rung, the second, the third, the fourth, whichever rung of leadership you're trying to get to, it's understanding that sponsorship point that you brought up as well, Daphne, that you need to be looking for someone who's going to pull you upwards. And that probably isn't your boss. It's probably one of your boss's colleagues, because it's not really in your boss's interest for you to leave their team and go and succeed somewhere else. They want to keep you helping them out, helping them look good. And a lot of women feel very uncomfortable with the idea that they are going out to build relationships for mutual gain, um, not just because they like someone, but because they actually really want to do this strategically. And I think that's something that that really can make the difference between getting those housekeeping job ex- and and getting that really exciting project that's going to give you a chance to build your platform and really show the leadership skills that you have.
1: You bring up something very important there, Charlotte, that I'd really like each of you to comment on, which is the expectation of how women should behave in the workplace versus the expectation of how men should behave in the workplace. And the reaction to women who are willing to make those tough decisions, that are willing to, quote, do a man's job, is not necessarily very positive. How do you handle that? How do you respond to that?
0: That's not a simple thing. I think you know when we last spoke, Brian, you and I were talking about how there is trend at the moment in leadership to talk about sort of feminine leadership styles and masculine leadership styles. And I was saying how I find that, although of course there are different leadership styles out there, I find that genderizing them is really unhelpful because it just reinforces the idea that men should behave in one way and women should behave in another. So I think it is a thing that we have to each individually be aware of the biases that we bring Um, and knowing that even if you are doing the work and you are trying to pay attention, those biases do still persist in your unconscious thinking. So trying to be really aware of those, being really open to hearing from somebody else that you have maybe not quite done it as well as you meant to, maybe you've made an assumption that, that has pigeonholed them. Um, So I think being open and honest about that kind of feedback and being open to receiving it can be really helpful. Interestingly, as a woman in the workplace, I would tend towards behaviours that many people might put more in that kind of masculine category rather than the feminine one. It's certainly feedback that I received when I was in the charity sector that I was, you know, too outspoken, too direct, too willing to make those, those more difficult decisions and too willing to say, this is the way that we're going to go, rather than building that more consensus-led, collaborative, maybe intuitive and emotional leadership style. And so the way I always dealt with that was to to just sort of try to behave differently and try to fit into those expectations a little bit more, which was not necessarily what I would advocate anybody else doing <laughs> Daphne, I'd love to know, how did you overcome it?
2: I think a part of it, as you were talking, is this idea of soft skills and being associated more with the feminine, which I think is really ridiculous because the things that were considered soft are the hardest things to do, which are generally the people side of the business. But I think the expectation of how a woman behaves and how a man behaves in order to be successful, continues to be a struggle. I know for me, I was in a male-dominated environment in air traffic control. And so being decisive was a part of the job. Being a supervisor for the first time meant that I got challenged every day. I was in a unionized environment being challenged every day. And so I had to learn not to be as tough as the guys, but to really own who I was and my authority and that was a shift for me to to own the authority without taking on the ego and the negative characteristics but to be certain to be decisive and then to bring in that part of me that likes to collaborate that part that wants to build team and so it was balancing sometimes it was a little schizophrenic going from you know the tough into the collaborative but that's also a part of developing your own unique style and being comfortable with that and learning how do I need to turn up the dial on some aspects. As Charlotte was saying, sometimes it's turning down the dial a little bit to find that balance based on the culture and the context that you're operating in. But I think ultimately how we're perceived male versus female starts on the inside. And for a lot of the women that I coach, a big piece of the journey is understanding that one, you deserve to be there and you are there because of the unique talents and capabilities that you have. And so I say it all the time, don't try to twist yourself into a pretzel to be like a man or to be like someone else. Figure out that secret ingredient within yourself that has brought you this far and level up into that not trying to be something else.
1: The question I often ask my clients that goes to what you were just saying there Daphne is what do you do like breathing? What comes to you so naturally that it's your secret sauce? It's it's what helped get you where you are and you don't even necessarily recognize it because it is such a natural part of how you show up. And that's a question that I often will again Uh, encourage my clients not just to reflect on, but to have honest conversations with colleagues, with friends, with family, um, to really get to know who you are as others experience you. Several years ago, I was talking to a woman named Nancy Murphy, and Nancy was at the time doing a lot of work around what she called cultural artifacts in organizations and culture came up in our conversation just a few minutes ago the reality is most organizational cultures have their historical roots and much of how they continue today in a white male tradition if you will and so there are artifacts that show up in that culture that become impediments, um, particularly to females. And Nancy gave one example in our conversation about a nonprofit where women would rise to a certain level in the organization and then would leave. And they brought in consultants, they brought in coaches and nothing changed. And when she went in to work with them, what she discovered is they had a stand-up for more senior leaders at a particular time of the morning when women, typically, were preparing to send their kids off to school. The women had to decide, do I abdicate, and many of them were single parents, my responsibility and my children, or do I find a job that doesn't expect me to put my family aside for the job? Uh, love to hear from each of you some of the cultural artifacts that you may have encountered in your professional growth.
2: That's an interesting framing. And I think it shows up in things like scheduling meetings, travel, the activities that take place during travel. You're you're going to a big meeting or a conference. And what are the activities that the most senior people in the organization partake in? Sometimes it's things like golf that tends to be more male dominated. It may be things like hanging out at a bar and there are people male and female that may not be the place that they want to to socialize it's things like assumptions about women particularly um 20s and 30 somethings about how far they can go because at some point they're gonna either get married or go off and have children so do we want to make an investment in them whereas a male in that same age range doesn't have this cloud over them or the expectation or the types of opportunities or even things like uh, what Charlotte was talking about in some organizations are assignments that may be considered a woman wouldn't want to necessarily go there, but that's a growth opportunity and having those kinds of assumptions made even to the number of restrooms that are in a building. I mean, it it could go on and on. So I'll I'll just stop there and, and I'll let Charlotte jump in.
0: I think what's really interesting here as well is that, you know, you talk about these, Brian, as sort of cultural artifacts of the organizations, but a lot of what Daphne was talking about, and I recognize all of those, are not necessarily of the organization. They're of our society in general. I mean, even that basic assumption that you know a woman is going to want to have a family and that if she does she will be the primary caregiver and so therefore will need the you know all of these special adjustments for her to be able to spend the time with her kids, um, you know, even now, when particularly in the UK, there's been a lot of movement towards trying to have more equal parental leave rights, really extending paternity leave. I know it's a different question in in America in terms of the the kinds of parental leave, paid parental leave that you do get when you have a child. But even with the extension of paternity leave in this country, we see that actual uptake is really quite low. Um, and that is because of what you were saying, Daphne, that there is a penalty to taking this leave. They're being seen as less committed because you are now split. You are now, you've got loyalty towards your family as well as towards the organization. So we're going to give those opportunities to somebody whose loyalties are not split. And so we see that men, having observed what happens to women when they have children, are choosing not to take up these you know these extra benefits because of that kind of artifact that exists in our society around what does it mean to be both a parent and a worker I guess. Um, and I think what's interesting to me as well is noticing with over time and particularly now as um, you know next year Gen Z will outnumber baby boomers in the workplace for the first time and they have very different expectations around the role of life. And work in their lives, and so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that shifts over time as we get people moving up through the organisation who don't have that same assumption that you know the, your work should be the first thing and that aren't built around the idea of a single, usually male breadwinner and um, you know someone at home, usually a woman, taking care of the children, which is really that sort of artifact that you were. Uh, that you were talking about, Brian, and I think that is sort of the basis of a lot of what you were talking about as well there, Daphne.
1: Clearly, we have surfaced an, a number of things for really every leader, and, and especially male leaders, to think about in terms of providing women at all levels of the organization with a sense of belonging and equitable opportunity for advancement. And we're going to have to wrap up. So I would just ask each of you to share one word of advice, if you will, for male leaders in terms of leveling the playing field for the women in their organization.
2: Well, I'll I'll just say that leveling the playing field requires recognition that the playing field is uneven, and one piece of advice is to really take an unbiased, unvarnished look at the playing field in your organization and understand where the creators are, where people are being given opportunities and others are not. And then think about what you wanna do about it and to commit to helping to bring a more equitable playing field. It's not gonna be the same for everyone, but you have to be realistic about where those craters are, and where the broken rungs on the ladder are, and be willing to do something about it,
0: yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think um what I might add there is around thinking about your expectations and when if you want to have a more equitable playing field, being really aware of, what are the characteristics that you consider to be necessary for leadership in your organization? And what do you see as evidence of having those characteristics of being leadership material? Um, and starting, I think, you know, similarly with that awareness of what is going on now will help you to understand as a leader where you can go next to make the playing field more level. Yeah, As Daphne says, if you don't agree that it's not level to begin with, that is absolutely the place to start. Um, and one way that's really effective for doing this and I've um, seen this done I think the last time I heard about it being done was in a university in um, in America and they went through the entire um, round of pay reviews and finished it off and were about to sign it off and somebody said do you know that you have given on average 10 grand more to all the male professors than the female professors and everyone in the room was absolutely shocked until they went back to look at the data. So you might not even be aware that you're doing it, which is why it really is necessary to like take that step back and, and examine your criteria and examine what's going on before you can know what to do next.
1: And I'd like to wrap us up picking up on something that you just said, Charlotte. We all have biases and we may not know it. We They may well be unconscious. And so an important part of addressing all of those things that have come up in this conversation is looking inside of ourselves, really reflecting, really observing how we are showing up as leaders, how we are showing up in relationship to the people that we are working with, and to really spend time getting to know those people, not just as the roles that they fill, but as the full human beings that they are. Daphne Jefferson of Juanavos and Charlotte Rooney, Half-Managed Mind, thank you so much for this conversation.
2: Thank you, Brian. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brian, and Charlotte for your great insights. I took lots of notes while you were talking.
0: (laughs) I would love to continue this offline.
2: (laughs) Absolutely.